Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Two Guys, One Plant. I'm Simon Hall. And I'm Tim Aikerman. And today we are looking at a herb for the first yeah, time. Yeah, different one today, mate. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to have enough time for it, but uh, that should cover off exactly what we're covering today. It's okay, mate. I've got time on my hands. <laughs> Is it chopped up or just ripped? And dried. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, so if you didn't guess already, we're doing time today. That's time with a T-H-Y instead of a T-I. It's thymy. Uh, thymy. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I really like that you've pronunciated it like that. Mm. Um, but it, it's really good to be back for another episode. Oh, absolutely. And uh, thanks to everyone for your feedback on the last couple of episodes. Uh, we are sort of starting to find our rhythm with this, which is nice. I think with the start of any sort of new thing, you you find what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. it um, Funny, you know, it's a learning process. Obviously, we're trying to learn a new plant every day, but uh, this the podcast and and the way I learn the information for each podcast has been a real learning process as well. And I feel like I'm getting better each week at, at finding the right information and putting it together in a way that I can present or teach you and then teach everybody else. Absolutely. Look, I I enjoy your teaching, so uh, <laughs> it's Likewise, all good. mate. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. Timbits. Um <laughs> <laughs> so look, let's uh, let's not dilly dally too much today. Let's get straight into it. And um, uh, you're going to be looking after history today. And... Yeah, I'll lead us in with the history, but uh, I don't know if I'll have enough time. <laughs> Are we going to be doing that, those jokes the whole way through this? Because I've written in a couple of puns to the beginning of my stuff as well. Uh, okay, I did. I didn't write any puns in, but I felt like they would just they would just flow naturally. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I mean, it was it was okay. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, well, look, Tim. Tim's taken us away with history. I'm going to be doing uh, nutrition and medicine today. Uh, it's actually a lot more medicinal with this particular herb today. So I'll be touching, you know, nutrition really briefly. But then we're going to be talking more medicinal. Uh, I'm going to be talking about growing, companion planting, that sort of thing. And uh, you're going to be taking us to the end with um, storage and cooking. That's it, yeah. Mm. Which is exciting, yeah. And you know, with the history, I I saw that there is a lot of uh, medicinal background to time. So I'm going to try and keep the history relatively brief, brief, just to give you enough time to cover the the medicinal side of things. Yeah, fantastic. That's uh, perfectly fine. Because look, the medicinal side of it is quite lengthy, mm. but uh, we will get into that shortly. I'm excited to tell you about it because there's a lot of stuff that I had absolutely no idea about with time. Yeah, I had no idea as well, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so it's actually really crazy how much you can learn about vegetables and herbs that you use pretty much weekly on a weekly basis um, just from doing you know a bit of research and a bit of background into into these things to find out why they're good for you and what they do for you and mm. yeah it, it's funny every week when I do the research for this podcast I generally have the same conversation with Kristen and it'll be something along the lines of, "Hey, did you know that?" And then whatever <laughs> it is that I learned, um, it's been it's been really a fun journey. Yeah, yeah, I love it. All right, well, look, let's not uh, let's not do too much uh, chit chat. Just hit me with yeah. the history, man. Let's go. Yeah. 
All righty. So time, the history of time, it, it was it was really interesting. Um, <laughs> so to- can I stop you for one second? Are we talking about the history of time? <laughs> that was one of the one of the jokes I had was Stephen Hawking's book, A Brief History of Time. I was gonna <laughs> I was gonna be like, okay, so now Stephen Hawking's a brief history of time. Oh wait, are we talking about this or the <laughs> It would be fantastic if Stephen Hawkins did a whole book about time the plant. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I couldn't get through this book because uh from about three quarters in, it made no sense to me. Ah, uh, yeah. The math is beyond me. Yep. Yeah, that's okay. Don't you worry. All right, let's go. Yeah, history let's of go. time, let's go. Yeah, so I'll, I'll take the history of time. And the first thing I noticed when I was looking at um, all the research and and, and trying to get a, a really good understanding of um, what the historical records were of time, it was very different to the things that we've covered in the past. So onions, tomato, beetroot, um, they all they all, all the history kind of presents that it was in this location and it kind of moved here and it was grown here and and, and did this. When you look at uh, time, the 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 thing that stood out the most was most of the information was about its medicinal uses. Um, and that goes right back into uh, about 2500 BC, kind of ancient Egypt sort of time. But the history of time is funny because it, it it's it's full of love potions, fairies, knights in shining armor, oh, wow. smoke, courage, and sacrifice. Like it's it's this really, really strange mix of all these different type of um, stories that come from this this little herb that most people probably have growing in some sort of herb garden in their home, whether it's growing on their windowsill or, you know, in, the, in their garden. And I, I found it really interesting looking at the history. So to go right back to the start, we're talking about um, ancient Egypt and Mesopotamia. So kind of that um, everyone knows where Egypt is. Mesopotamia is like um, you know, Turkey and um, there was a really narrow band through uh, the Middle East. I think it was Iraq and, and places like that. Okay. And that's kind of where most of the documentation starts. So you're looking 2500 BC. Um they, there is some um, information that says that it probably existed in Babylon in the Hanging Gardens and between about 605 and 562 BC, so it's really interesting. But the, the earliest records um, listed as a herbal medicine, and you're talking Egypt, Mesopotamia, but particularly the Sumerian civilization in Mesopotamia. And they they actually um, were really advanced when it came to science, math, arts, everything like that. And the records show that they had these vast parks filled with exotic trees and shrubs and, and you know, all these herbs and that sort of thing. So, you know, I'm picturing these amazing gardens with all these different plant species. Yeah. And um, the oldest recorded herbal, and from what I can tell, herbal is a, a term that they use to describe a, a book that outlines different herbs and plants. So it's kind of like a... Um, a dictionary of, of herbs and that sort of thing. But the oldest recorded herbal dates back to 2500 BC and it, and it had things in it like thyme, caraway, mandrake, saffron, coriander, and heaps of other stuff. But uh, they were they were documenting these, these um, herbs and their medicinal uses from 2500 BC, which is incredible. Wow. Um, after that, the the Egyptians. It was thought that the Egyptians sort of uh, moved 
time into uh, Babylon and India and um, I got that wrong. <laughs> the, the Egyptians imported it from Babylon and India. Yep. And they used it in the embalming process. Okay. Um, which is really interesting. I guess it was more for um, covering up the smell, probably in a way. I don't think that it was a preservative, but more of a more of a perfume type situation. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about that. Yeah. Cool. Because there yeah. are some extra chemical qualities to thyme that would serve well for um, embalming, I believe. Oh, interesting. There you go. So mm. I, I didn't read into it too much. I'll be interested to learn about that. Mm. Um, the Greeks also got involved uh, about 500 BC, and there's a, a Greek writer called Herodotus, and he wrote a book that listed about 700-odd herbs and their uses. Um, interestingly, I actually looked up who Herodotus was because I had never heard of him. Yeah. And he is accredited with creating the field of study called history. What? Yeah. I Weird, right? Like, I mean, obviously history is history, but yeah. he, he turned it into a field of study where people actually study history and he's, he's credited wow. with that. Yeah. Wow. So a writer who obviously liked to research history and yeah. yeah. Herodotus. Herodotus. Yep. Wow. Sounds like a cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> Historically. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then we've also got uh, Hippocrates. Most people know Hippocrates. He's kind of um, the father of modern medicine. Yep. Um, he, he's also documented as having used herbs as a basis for his treatment. Now, the interesting thing here is that Herodotus was the first person that um, kind of attributed sickness to uh, a natural illness or cause. But previous to that, most people, uh, sickness was superstition or the wrath of the gods type situation. So he was really starting to look at, you know, physiology and how, how do we actually treat it rather than superstition. Yeah. So, yeah, there's uh, there's record of him using using herbs and times one of those herbs as, as a treatment. Wow. Um, the Greeks then sort of moved this information into Rome and the Roman Empire. And their physicians began to use thyme in their herbal, herbal remedies, and that became quite extensive. Uh, the Romans were credited with spreading thyme right throughout uh, all of Europe. And then we move into sort of medieval Europe where uh, thyme became widely used in cosmetics and perfumes, mm. uh, and it was particularly used in a, as an astringent. Do you know what an astringent is? No, I do not. I, I had to look this up as well. I had no idea, but uh, an astringent, which is commonly used in cosmetics today, but it, it um, it's used to kind of contract contract um, soft tissue or skin cells. So it's used to contract the skin. So I guess kind of like a, a weird Botox type effect. Whoa. Yeah, really, really weird, yeah. That's cool. Um, I don't know if you came across <laughs> the, that effect from time in, in your research, but... Uh, mm, not too much, but maybe... Yeah, yeah. Um, after the medieval Europe, it's it's really hard to kind of lock down what happened with time after that. I mean, what what we can really tell is that it, it just the Roman Empire was so big; they've just mm. it's just been sent across the globe after that, and uh, yeah. became quite a quite a common a common plant. But interesting when it's... I when I look at the history, um, there's you've obviously got the history of the herb itself and then there's the history of how it got its name and the history of 
the ancient uses and the 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 ways the ways that they used to use it I found quite interesting so I thought I would cover some of some of that off as well but um, um, the Greeks they considered time uh, an emblem emblem of bravery so uh, the in the days of chivalry, the knights would embroider a bee hovering over like a sprig of thyme on their scarves, um, and the ladies would give that to their uh, to their a knight that would protect them and that sort of thing. So it was like a token oh. to help them get protected. Yeah, That's I, cool. I found that quite interesting. Um, there's a guy called Horace, and he was he lived in 65 to 8 BC, and um, he documented. Uh, that the Romans used time for bee culture, um, yeah. so it was quite quite heavily involved in the the culture there. This one I found really interesting. Um, time was a key ingredient in a love potion. Ooh, so this yeah. potion was Tell thought me about to, this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this potion was thought to induce visions of your. Um, like your your one true love, the person oh. that you're going to marry and be with forever. Oh wow. Yeah. So this is this is the potion, right? Oh, you're actually going to tell people how to I'm make gonna, it. Yeah, yeah. Because oh, I think amazing. we should all we should all um we should all make this love potion and give it a crack. Love, true love, yeah. So you get marigold flower, a sprig of marjoram, thyme, and wormwood. Yep. And dry them before a fire. Rub them to powder. Sift them through a fine piece of lawn. Simmer these with a small quantity of virgin honey in white vinegar over a slow fire. Okay. With this, anoint your stomach, breasts, and lips, lying down and repeat these words thrice. St. <laughs> Luke, St. Luke, be kind to me. In a dream, let my true love see. This said, hasten to sleep, and in the soft slumbers of night's repose, the very man whom you shall marry shall appear before you. Amazing. Yep. So we could all give that a crack. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think mean, this should become a, a common thing in today. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Get, I mean, get rid of Tinder. Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what? yeah. We should just have like the Time Potion uh, app where Correct. it'll, um, you just log into that. It gives you your description mm-hmm. of what to actually say and you push one button and it orders all of the ingredients for you in one, one thing yeah. and sends it out to your house. I love it. I love yep. it. Delivered. <laughs> Contactless delivery with your yeah. love potion. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. It's a, a funny one. Um, yeah. Wow. You know, we go back to that kind of superstition and that, and that sort of thing. But um, it's really cool. They're, they're also um, they're also involved in the story of fairies. So there's there's this Danish and German folklore that list patches of wild times as. Um, places to find find fairies. So you know you see wild thyme growing out, and this is where the fairies are. Oh. And um, the the thyme oil was the main component of a what's called an ungent, which enabled the user to see the fairies. Um, but only if the time time that they used to make the ungent came from where the fairies were. Okay. So you can't just collect any time. Yeah, and well, that makes fairies. sense. Yeah. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> so the the folklore says that generations of these of little girls camped out in these um, spots of time, hoping to see fairies. Wow. Yeah, I yeah. think that that was just a parenting trick of medieval of times. <laughs> yeah, 
Like you will see fairies if you sit here and wait for three days. Yeah, it's Just... like playing the silent game with your kids. <laughs> now, let's see who can be quiet the longest. <laughs> That's exactly right. Oh, my gosh. That is yeah. fantastic. Oh, that yeah. is really cool. Oh, man, I've got heaps more. <laughs> oh, I, I found it really interesting uh, with time and it, it sounds like a lot of these vegetables and um, and herbs that originated around Egypt or in that kind of area moved with the Roman Empire when it came across the globe. Mm. Um, like we covered off beetroot last week and beetroot was very much the same. It was found in the Hanging Gardens of Babylon and then kind of distributed itself across the world very much with the Roman Empire as well. Yep. Yeah, I mean, the, the Roman Roman Empire was so vast it uh, it um, a lot of things can be linked back to that kind of era mm. where they they just sent all of their spices and the trade and you know that sort of thing. Yes, yeah, interesting mm. to see where it all comes from. Absolutely. The Romans actually um, Romans actually used time. Well, it had a reputation as um, a protector and in and healer and that sort of thing. And they they would um, they would eat time before or during a meal and it was thought to protect them from poison Ooh. so it became became really pop- popular with uh, the emperors and obviously they thought people were always out to poison them so they would constantly yeah. eat time to try and avoid being poisoned and it got to the point where they they said that if you filled a bath um with water and and had a, a a really liberal amount of time, I can just imagine them bathing in these like, yeah. baths full of time. Um, but apparently, that would reverse the effect of poison if you'd actually consumed it. Wow! Yeah, so that was interesting. And that uh, is really the soldiers, yeah, and the soldiers used to ex- exchange time to each other as a sign of respect. Which is interesting as well. So there's all these different meanings and things going on, and yes, it, it's crazy how it can change. You know, you got fairies and respect and love potions, and this one plant can be a symbol for all these different things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, they would also burn time in the temples and homes to um, evoke courage. Oh, wow. If they needed courage instead of today where we have a couple of beers, they would they would burn some time. <laughs> Dutch courage. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. This but is one the of the, Roman one of the really Yeah, that's right, yeah. One of the really interesting things was, and, and it seems quite relevant today because we're in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic was the the black death pandemic that happened in the in the 1340s now i've i've been looking at numbers of um deaths and pandemics to purely because we have a pandemic and the black death as far as i can tell is attributed with the most most deaths mm. of any pandemic that we've um experienced in the world and it's about 200 million people died in the black death which is a phenomenal number to think about especially in the 1340s that's a huge percentage of the population yeah that's massive. but the population were using time um to try and protect themselves and heal themselves from from black death so a lot of concoctions uh, had posies worn around the neck and poultices um on wounds and blistered skin and um there was uh they were looking at the oil and having a known sort of antiseptic property, which I'm assuming you're going to touch on earlier. I'm going to touch on that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and they they tried what? to use it as a hand sanitizer and that sort of thing as well. So, what was the Black Death? Uh, I actually don't know what what it what it was, but I assume it was some sort of virus. Okay. Yeah. 
yeah, that's all right. I wasn't yeah. sure what it what it actually was. So right. um, yeah, yeah, I had no idea either. Um, the other the other one is uh, monasteries would serve. Um, oh, it was the bubonic plague. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. There you go. There you go. Oh my yeah. gosh! Crazy. I just looked at you know some charts of plagues and death rates and that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that is decimating. That is crazy. Mm. Unbelievable. Yeah, and the, the the monasteries would use time as well. Um, but they they're obviously quite known for their uh, medicinal knowledge of of different things, and um, they use time in bread, soup, and and roast and that sort of things. And this is long before refrigeration exists. And and they used it to try and help provide some protection against spoiled meat and disease and that sort of thing. So they use it as a preservative in a way. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. So, you know, the the history is quite quite diverse. There's there's less information out there about exactly where it started and how it moved around the world and more about um, the different ways people used it and and the the different beliefs that they had for this product. So you go from tomatoes and onions where it's really just about this is how it used to look and this is how it used to grow and, and this is where it went yeah. versus something like this that was more of a, a symbol for people and, you know, they used to use it for a ver- really broad range of, of different things, whether they're yeah. accurate or not. Yeah. Yeah, wow. I, I did see in some of the stuff that I was reading that there is like – a multitude of different types of thyme. Mm. Like there's, I think there's over 300 varieties of thyme. Yeah. Which is crazy. Wow, that's a lot of thyme. Yeah. (laughs) Who would have thought, huh? (laughs) Um, That's really cool. Is that history? Yeah, that's that's the history, mate. Yep, covered off nice and quick. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That was really good. It just seems as though, um, and I said this just before, but it's it's really interesting that these kind of herbs and spices and moved with empires that were taking over the globe, essentially. And I suppose that makes sense with trade moving in those different ways. And yeah, I, I love I love that thought. I mean, maybe not the 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 global domination type side of it, but the fact that these these big empires would would send all of this stuff mm. everywhere that they'd conquered rather than you know they, they really wanted to share everything that they'd learned and and combine all their cultures and kind of get the best of everything and then everybody mm. lives a better life i hope that that's kind of what they were trying to do but it's a nice thought it is a nice thought. I kind of feel like if that's what they were trying to do, they shouldn't be taking over other cultures. But you know, <laughs> I know, but that that's that's the greed of men, right? Yeah. Wow, that's true. Very, very yeah. true. Yeah. Um, awesome, man. I really like that. That was a really good history lesson. Mm. Yeah, thank was, you very much. Uh, super interesting. You know, all of those different things, and uh, mm. I, I was loving it, <laughs> mate. Well, prepare to have your mind blown by. I'm, I'm looking the forward to nutrition it. And, and and medicinal uses of it because, I mean, you touched on a little bit of the ancient medicinal uses. So I'm not really going to touch on too much of that. I'll touch on um, how it was used a little bit, like in the past. But this is more. Um, most of the information that I'm. Uh, most of the information that I'm taking from this is from um, a journal article by Keith Singletary. He's a PhD, um, which is a combination of a lot of different uh, uh, journals, studies, clinical studies um, that kind of encompasses everything to do with time. 
So we're going to be touching on all of that um, in this section. So, look, I guess with that said, it's time to start talking about nutrition and medicinal uses. Things like that. Oh, I'll throw it in there at the beginning. Yeah, it is time. <laughs> So, look, we're going to cover more medicinal with time because there's much more information about that side. Um, as with most herbs, they generally use medicinal rather than for their nutritional benefits. But if we touch on nutrition really briefly, um, time is uh, just a quick little rundown. It's low in sodium, very low in cholesterol. It's a good source of vitamin E, thiamine, magnesium, zinc, copper, really good source of dietary fiber, vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin K, folate, calcium, iron, and manganese. Wow. So I had yeah. no idea. Yeah. So there's a lot of different things to it. I think the thing with time though is that we have it in such small doses that, you know, you're only getting portions of this wide variety of nutritional content. Yeah. Um, and generally we use it as a as an additive to you know, spice up your roast or, you know, mm. give some flavor to roast vegetables or things like that. Um, but let's let's jump into medicinal because this is where it's really, uh, really interesting. So yeah, I'm, I'm hanging out for this one. Yep. Yeah. So traditional remedies, which you've touched on really quickly um, associated with time, include the alleviation of depression, epilepsy, nightmares, headaches, treatment of coughs, um, the possible health effects of time and its constituents. So basically time is made up of two main chemical chemicals that are used with uh, medicinal qualities, and that is something called uh, thymol and caravacrol, right? Um, and these the properties of these two chemicals include antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, respiratory, and neurological benefits. Interesting. Yeah. So we're going to touch on each of those different points, um, and we're going to be talking more about the two key ingredients, which was that thymol and uh, carvacrol. Carvacrol. How's it spelled? Uh, C a r v a c r o l. Carvacrol. Yep. Yep. Um, and most of the most of the medicinal uses is with it as an oil. So yeah. thyme oil is really what people use. Um, so thyme essential oil is used in the preservation of food. Uh, it's got antibacterial. So is that still common today? Food preservation with thyme oil. I believe so. Wow. Okay. Yeah. There you go. So antibacterial properties in thymol so which is that main main chemical protein or chemical component um uh, as well as um uh they're in part associated with lymphomic uh lin lymphoma mm, <laughs> i don't know how to say that lipophilic character leading uh to accumulation in bacterial membranes and subsequent membrane associated events such as energy depletion so uh, it's also got an antifungal nature of thymol against some fungi that are pathogenic to plants. It's due to its ability to alter um, the, the state of the plant, uh, resulting in reduced amounts of these uh, hyphal diameters, uh, which basically are what spawns out um, to the thing. So I wanted to actually 
touch on that, that antibacterial, the antiseptic and uh, that sort of nature would probably why they used it in an embalming process mm. is to keep it antifungal. Yep. Yep. That um, makes sense. And if we're using it in preservation of food, we're preserving a body, um, which kind of makes sense to to keep it around. That. Yeah. Well, it, it all makes sense now. I, I I never thought of time as a preservative. So you know, if it has preservative properties, then it, it would make sense in the embalming process. Yeah. Absolutely. So thymol has also been used in alcoholic solutions uh, and in dusting powders for treatment of tinea, ringworm infections. Uh, it was used in the United States to treat hookworm infections. Um, people of the Middle East used uh, zatar, which you, you yep. would know what zatar is, yep, mm -hmm. um, which is the delicacy made with lots of thyme, and mm -hmm. they used this to reduce and eliminate internal parasites. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's also used as a um, as an anesthetic um, and as an antiseptic in mouthwash. Um, when used to reduce plaque and gingivitis, thymol has been found to be more effective when used in combination with another um, chemical called chlorhexidine uh, than when used just by itself. Um, it's also the active antiseptic ingredient in some toothpastes. Um, thymol has also been used successfully to uh, con control the and prevent fermentation and the growth of mold in bee colony colonies. Um, uh, thymol is also used as a rapidly degrading non-persisting pesticide as well. And it's also used as a medicinal disinfectant and general purpose disinfectant. Fire out. I know. So this is all from that chemical protein, uh, chemical component. I keep saying uh, chemical active protein. Active ingredients. That's active right. Ingredients. Yeah. Um, of thyme, which is thymol. Thymol, um, yep. So used in lots of different things. And they, they basically can extract it from uh, thyme to use it for these different uh, uh, different. I suppose different avenues of, um, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say, <laughs> different things that they use it for. Just take some more time, mate, and figure yeah. it out. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I appreciate <laughs> that. Okay. So we've kind of covered off thymol. Uh, let's talk about carvacrol. So carvacrol is present in the essential oil um, of oregano oil of thyme, um, oil also obtained from pepperwort and wild bergamot. Um, the thyme, the essential oil thyme subspecies contains about 5% and 75% of carvacrol, um, while other things like marjoram only have about 45%. Um, and there's some other things that have other you know, higher quantities of this carvacrol as well. Um, in vitro, so I don't know. So in vitro basically is Latin for in the glass. So mm -hmm. in vitro yep. is when they do tests on, you know, single organisms inside a Petri dish, something like that. Um, it's got antimicrobial, antimicrobial, that's what it is. Yep. Antimicrobial activity against 25 different bacteria, um, and bacteria strains. Wow. Yeah. So 
These two chemicals combined inside thyme oil is basically what gives it all these different qualities and and gives it such a medicinal use. And I find this really interesting that, you know, we know this now through clinical trials and through, um, you know, scientific ex- method, yeah. extensive research into um, time. Whereas, you know, we're talking about back in BC times that they were using this for medicinal purposes without this kind of knowledge, but just, I guess, going off of a, let's test it and see. Mm. Yeah, it's it's incredible to think uh, what they, you know, we've got our modern technology, but uh, what our ancient civilizations could accomplish with um, less technology, I guess, or more primitive technology, they they still uh, manage to to get a lot of it right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, from here we're going to break this uh, thyme oil and the thymol and the carvacrol down into a couple of different segments. We're going to be talking about antioxidants first, so um, what it looks from an antioxidant perspective. We're going to look at anti-inflammatory. We're also going to look at the respiratory benefits and the effects on cough, um, gastrointestinal. Um, so we're going to cover off those things so that we can look at it and just see where it stacks up against other types of um I suppose, herbs, uh, spices, vegetables, and things like that. So thyme, we're going to start off with the antioxidant actions. So thyme is one of eight dried herbs from a group uh, in this particular study of over 60 that were analyzed that contained really high concentrations of antioxidants. So this is greater than 75, and there's a type of measurement that they use here which is 75 mmol per 100 grams Mm -hmm. so mmol is the abbreviation for millimole which is a thousandth of a mole Mm -hmm. Um, it's the amount of any chemical substance that equals the number of atoms Mm. in 12 grams of carbon Yes, it takes is, me back to year 12 chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so basically uh, we're looking at it from like a thousandth of a percentage of and, and looking at atoms to see what kind of um, antioxidants are kind of inside the time herb. Um, so they are – it's about 75. So we're just going to say 75 out of 100 grams. So this is 75 mmol out of 100 grams. Um and that's garden thyme. You're looking at oregano, which has about 113 to 165 yeah, right. um, in that. Uh, but I found the really interesting part of the antioxidants part of thyme is that uh, it's about two, 2.8 times greater than what is in ginger and about 30 times more than what's in garlic. There you go. Yeah. Um, so – What they're suggesting in this particular study is that, um, you know, intake of herbs in a normal diet could be better, a better contributor to your dietary antioxidants than any other plant food. Mm. I guess it's just hard because of the, the, the actual volume or the grams that you, you know, gram for gram. Absolutely. Garlic or something or ginger is more dense. So you're going to use more of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's the same with, um, I mean, antioxidants in berries is about 9.86. So that's about, you know, uh, about eight times less than what's in time as well. Mm. Um, 
pomegranates about 1.8. So yeah, okay. yeah. like 70 times or, you know, yeah. about 50 times better than pomegranates. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, you of, know, all the marketing spin is have your blueberries for your antioxidants, but absolutely. nobody talks about time. Yeah. yeah. Or, um, or, um, or oregano. Yeah. Oregano. I use oregano. oregano? Do you oregano, say oregano or oregano? Yeah, I think oregano is the American <laughs> pronunciation, but yeah. I've gotten used to saying it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, oregano, oregano, whatever it is, uh, that's got really high antioxidants. Oregano will do that in another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah. So now we're going to talk about anti-inflammatory. Right. Um, there's a lot of preclinical evidence at time and particularly the carvacrol, uh, stimulate anti-inflammatory processes um, and has an anti-inflammatory properties in vitro. So, again, in vitro is in the glass. Labs done, Um, yep. Yeah, organisms and, you know, single organisms and that sort of thing. Um, Now, there's a whole lot of – there's a whole lot of uh, very technical – information that I was reading through, which we don't all need to know. But basically, we can see that the thyme oil, when added to the cultures of oxidized, low-density kind of um, organisms, uh, had really good – it was really good at significantly reducing the production of these particular pro-inflammatory markers. Um, so it was really good for that sort of thing. And, and this was with an oil that was about 71% thiamol and 4% carbacrol and had another couple of components of other things in there. Um, but there's still not too much information medically and clinically on the anti-inflammatory um, properties of time. It's mm. really needed to push forward with more human trials, more human studies, so they can see what that actually looks like in terms of um, reducing arthritis and and other types of uh, degenerative yep. inflammation uh, things inside the human body. Um, Let's push on to respiratory benefits and effects on cough. Um, Traditional medicines, thyme was claimed to possess antispasmodic and bronchial uh, sacromotor properties. Hmm. Um, It was used in Central and South Europe for the alleviation of bronchitis, whooping cough, um, and sort of inflammation in the respiratory tract. Uh, there's a German Commission E report on uh, medicine, herbal medicines that mentions a thyme bath oil to treat airway diseases. Right. Um, we should be using that for Corona. Well, I don't want to go touching on that too much, to be honest. <laughs> there's been a lot of misinformation put out there uh, regarding coronavirus and cures. Facebook but, will shut us down. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. look. All I'm saying is, look, there's research that actually goes into it being really good for reducing irritants on the lungs Mm. um, and helping with bronchitis and whooping cough. So, uh, you know, eat some more time. It may help you with any coughs that you've got going on. Um, So that's pretty much the respiratory section of it. Um, Let's talk neurobehavior and and neuroprotective properties. This was um, 
this was the most fascinating area for me. Mm. Uh, when it comes to brain behavior and neuropathways, it's I find that really interesting. Just thinking about how a brain operates mm. and how uh, sort of chemical synapses happen and that's mm-hmm. how thought happens. Yeah. Uh, it's just – Yeah, it's, anything it's so to do deep. with the brain um, – fascinates me i've always ever since i was a a kid i've always uh read books about the brain and you know yeah it's absolutely fascinating it is it's it's amazing so this part was really interesting for me um so both in vitro which is again in the glass and in vivo which is so in vivo is when they do testing on whole living beings um so both in vitro and in vivo studies point to the ability of time photochemicals to influence processes associated with cognition and mood uh, there's some evidence that carbacrol, uh, which is that chemical uh, compound in it, exhibits multiple neuromodulatory actions, and therefore, because of it, it's widely used in as a food additive. But it has the potential to be incorporated into strategies for alleviating various neurological conditions. Wow, I know. Um, when we're talking about like in vitro experiments show that the carvacrol and thymol um, in the thyme essential oil um, inhibited, so it's a really big word, so it inhibited, I'm going to try and say this, but I know I'm going to say it wrong. It's uh, acetyroclonical terese. properties (laughs) properties <laughs> i don't okay. think you got that right <laughs> no i don't think so either so it's a-c-e-t-y-l-c-h-o-l-i-n-e wait 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 s-t-a-c-e-t-y-l-c-h-o-l-i-n-e-s-t-e-r-a-s-e ah so acetylcholinesterase Okay, that's the that's what it is. Yeah. Yes. Do you know so what col- that is? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Okay. So I'm yeah. going to tell people what it is because yeah. I yeah. had no idea what that was. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say. Um. I think uh, beta alanine has a an effect with acetylcholinesterase as well. Yeah. Okay. Did you yeah. look up it pronunciation? Crosses, did you? No. It crosses <laughs> the blood brain barrier. Yes. Yeah. 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 Which is really difficult for a lot of. Yes. There's not of, many things that do it. Yeah. That's right. That's why. Yeah. Uh, that's why. I mean, we learned this from uh, from what happened with Jamie and the tumor inside our brain. When we're looking at chemotherapy that actually works on the brain, there's a specific type of chemotherapy that they use for uh, brain tumors and and, yeah. and cancer in the brain, but. It doesn't work 100% of the time mm. because it's really difficult for these um, chemicals to pass over through the blood-brain barrier. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, uh, so how do you say this thing again? Acetyl? Yep. Cholinesterase. Acetylcholinesterase. Okay. It's an enzyme that catalyzes the breakdown of acetylchlorine and some other esters that function as neurotransmitters so they basically break it down to ache so ache is found at mainly neuromuscular junctions and in chemical synapses um, where its activity serves serves to terminate synaptic transmission Mm. so you know when you get like uh, muscle spasms 
Yes, that's a build-up of the cholinesterase, and it, it's firing the the um, signal across the the axons. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. So this kind of stops that happening. Yeah. yeah. Right? So the really the really crazy thing that I saw here was that um, it's also a primary target of inhibition by. Um, organophosphorus compounds such as nerve agents and pesticides. Right. So um, this, the time photochemicals that Carvacrol um, can be used to, uh, it's in reference um, that these ACHE inhibitors that are, you know, hang on, what am I trying to say? Let's just go back a second. Mm-hmm. So the time oil um you know, is used to stop this uh, acetylcholinesterase. Acetylcholinesterase. Yeah, acetylcholinesterase. So basically um, this is these ACHG inhibitors have been developed for treatment of degenerative neurological disorders. Uh, moreover, Carofcarol exerted um, a ACHG inhibitor effect tenfold greater than that of thymol, even despite thymol's a similar in, in structure to the Carofcarol. Right. Yeah. There you go. yeah. So basically, it's really good at stopping those um, ACHE properties, which, yeah, so you know. The degenerative type properties. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Which is, yeah. I found that really interesting um, and really cool. Yeah. So let's move on to gastrointestinal, gastrointestinal actions. Mm-hmm. So uh, thyme and carbocrol-rich water have been used in traditional medicines to relieve digestive tract ailments. Um, however, when we're looking at like long, long-term long studies and, and bigger studies in terms of with humans, there's not too much evidence here. There's just not enough studies to show what that does. But in the past, in, in traditional medicines, they have used that. Um, okay. The next part, safety. Mm. Okay, this is this is crazy to me, but when used in amounts found in food, thyme and thyme oiled are regarded by the the U.S. Food and Drug Administration uh, as natural flavorings and seasoning agents, and it's safe for use. However, when you take uh, thyme oil orally in an undiluted form, it can be unsafe. So define unsafe. Yeah. Unsafe being we don't know what it could do to someone. Right. So preclinical data for the time photochemical uh, cavacrol and thymol suggest that they have they likely have low toxicity for humans when consumed as ingredients in spices and culinary, but the side effects associated with chronic intake of dietary time, it needs to be more thoroughly examined, uh, especially if dietary time essential oil or time extracts are are contemplated for use at concentrations greater than those allowed for food use. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what they're basically saying is it's really good for you at a lower dose. Yeah. I feel like um I've seen, you know, the the little essential oil vials, you know, they're 15 mil or whatever of 100% oil extract. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've seen the thyme oil and it's got poison written on it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 
yeah. not for consumption. Yeah. Yeah. So I, again, I think in small doses, which is what we've been talking about this whole time, it has really great qualities. Um, but when you use too much of it, it can be toxic for you, mm. which is really weird considering the amounts that they were taking for poison uh, back in the medieval times yeah. and like having full baths of it. Although we don't really know the bioavailability of it, like seeping into your pores. No, so. and I, I think uh, I could be wrong, but back then I, I don't know. There was probably less uh, litigation and suing of people, whereas you know nowadays <laughs> everyone's trying to cover their ass and make sure in, that uh, the laws don't allow any any pushback from someone to get sued. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, yeah, so that pretty much covers off all the medicinal and nutritional value of thyme. Yeah, man, that's a that's a lot to cover. That's um, quite quite uh, a broad range of uses. It covers a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, as I was reading this, as I was going through the research, it kind of just made me think. Look, in terms of a dietary additive. It's probably a really good thing to add to vegetables that you're roasting, uh, to add to soups that you're making, mm. um, even if it's just for preserving it for a little bit longer, um, or you know, getting these additional benefits to it to to what's actually you know you're putting into your body. Um, it seems like if you don't uh, not enjoy the taste of thyme or not enjoy the aroma of thyme, uh, then, you know, why not put it in? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, it, it just makes sense to, to add it to your diet. You, whatever, whatever, um, small benefit you're going to get from it was only yeah. going to be positive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I personally love cooking with thyme. I, I use it all the Too. time. Yeah. yeah. I just had some roast vegetables the other day that were mm. heavily, heavily timed. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Which is good. All right. Well, look. It's hey, good, mate. Yep. Thanks. Thanks was, for that one. That's okay. And look, I'm going to keep talking now because I am doing the growing section. You're going to um, teach us how to grow it. I, I'm actually, I'm really keen on this one because I have a thyme <laughs> plant in my herb garden at home uh-huh. and it has progressively over, say, the last 18 months, it's slowly died to the point now where I can't get any time from it, so I'm going to have to start again. So I really want to I really want to hear what you have to say to figure out how to do it right this time around. Okay. Well, the real the necessity is that you have to spend a bit of time on <laughs> – no, I'm just joking. <laughs> how, much, how much time? Uh, not enough. None of us have enough time, let's be honest. Well, okay, I let's... don't have any time at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, look, I have tried time as well and it's it was really weird to me when I read about, you know, how to uh, how to look after time. I felt like I did this but it still died. So um, I guess take it with a grain of salt. This is just what it tells you that you should be doing. Maybe I did a couple of things wrong. Maybe I didn't have um, enough drainage in the pot or, mm. or things like that. But look, let's just jump right into it. Basically, when you're growing thyme, you can plant it all year round. It's another really great um, herb that you can just plant whenever. Um, it does need full sun. So I'm not sure if you've got it in a position where it's getting full sun. No, it only gets half day sun. Yeah. Okay. 
So maybe you just need to move it somewhere to, I mean, mm. in, in your front yard, you'd probably be able to do full sun out there. Yeah, definitely. Side, yep. side guns. Um, the water needs is very low. Um, and they say this is a pretty easy one to grow, <laughs> which, <laughs> which I uh, don't think that's the case. But anyway, um, okay. So as I mentioned before, there's over 350 different time species to choose from. Um, they all thrive in sunny, hot, and dry spots. Um, usually you should spread them about 20 centimetres apart because they grow kind of wide rather than, than tall. Um, it doesn't grow any more than 25 centimetres ever. Um, thyme needs to be well-drained. It needs to have well-drained soil, um, maybe a bit of raised bed, bit of compost in there. Um, they were saying here that thyme responds really well to mulch through warmer months. Oh, yeah. Um, so especially those in temperate and cool areas, uh, you remove the mulch over the colder months to allow the soil to warm. Mm, yep. uh, it's very low maintenance. Um, you can pick it as required. So it's actually a lot better for you once the um, time is just about to flower. If you start cutting it back, it'll actually grow more when you start cutting it back. Yeah, I used to do that with mine. I would, um, if it came to flower and, you know, we weren't using it as much as we needed to, I would just go out and just prune it back and make yeah. sure it, yeah. Yeah, so definitely that's the best way to go. Um, what are we doing? Companion planting. Let's talk companion planting because, look, it's pretty easy to grow in terms of what that is. It's got really low water needs. So, um, you know, once a week for you to give it a water is enough for thyme. Um, when it comes to companion planting, though, thyme thrives obviously in the sunny conditions, so you want to start planting it with maybe rosemary, um, which also has very similar watering needs as well, mm. just once a week. Um, you can grow it with strawberries, cabbages, tomatoes, eggplants, broccoli, and Brussels sprouts, and it does really well next to those particular um, vegetables, which is pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, I read it. It's uh, It's quite a good plant for the garden um, to help keep the pests away because of that, the, the, the thyme oil and the natural oils that are in it. They're saying it's a good kind of border plant around the rest of your plants and it will yeah. stop the insects getting into your garden. Yeah. Ah, that's really cool. I like yeah. that. Um, I guess the biggest takes out from this is trim your thyme. The more it grows, um, you know, cut, cut the fresh stems in the morning um, leaving behind the tough woody portions and um, uh, leave at least five inches of growth so that the plant can still flourish. So mm -hmm. make sure you keep pruning it, but make sure you don't go underneath five inches. Yeah, okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I'm going to have to pull my time plan out and start again. Did you Did you talk about how long does it take from seed? Do you know? I don't know. No. Okay. <laughs> I didn't actually look at that. Nah, it's all right. But because uh, I don't usually grow thyme from seed. So you can pick up thyme from mm. nurseries and from yep. Yep. Bunnings and, you know, places like that, actually really cheap, and you can get the different varieties, yep. and it usually comes as a bush. Ready already, to go. Ready yeah. to go. Mm. So I think the best and easiest way to do this is to grab one from that particular situation, make sure you chuck it into a really sunny area, um, you know, get rid of the soil that it comes in and replace that with something that's um, 
you know, a really nice uh, growing. You can buy herb soils, which have the right kind of um, uh, components in the soil mix to make it, you know, grow really well. Yeah, I think thyme and rosemary like um, lots of limey soil. Yeah. Mm, mm. So, you know, plant it with those things and then make sure you just keep cutting it back. Even mm. when you first get it, cut it back, let it grow, water mm. it once a week and away you go. Oh, well, I'll try again and see if it works. Mm. I'm going to do the same thing because my yeah. lemon thyme out on the on the balcony just is non-existent. The, the plant that I've got that's died has lasted maybe four or five years. Yeah. And it, it is about twenty or twenty five centimeters. It's a big kind of bushy shrub, but it's yeah. all the all the green leaves have died. It's just a, a shrub of sticks. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That is very disappointing. Disappointing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh well get your green thumb back out and, and, mm. and give it another go. I will. Yeah. Hey, while we're talking about growing, have you tried to grow onions, beetroots, or tomatoes yet? Uh not since we've discussed it. No. Okay. Uh, yeah, no. me either. But yeah. I'm going to give that a crack. I think I have I'm gonna, all intentions to do it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. I, I'm going to start the beetroot thing first because nice. I bought beetroots like in my last shopping trip after we did it because yeah. I wanted to bring more into my diet. Um, mm. But uh, but I haven't actually grown them yet. But I'm going to start doing that now. Yep. Yeah. Plenty yeah, of I plenty of time to. on our hands while you're, <laughs> while you're at home. So yeah. Oh my god. Of the time reference, I'm sorry. All right, take yeah. us away with storage and cooking, man. Yeah, so um, I'm going to start with storage and then move into the cooking. Yep. Now, I think with storage, the most obvious thing when it comes to storage is you you touched on it before, pick fresh as needed. Yeah. So if you want fresh time, just grow your plant, have it nearby. When you're ready to go, trim some off and away you go. Um, outside of having it fresh the next obvious thing is uh the dried herb which you know everyone knows you can buy at the supermarket grocery store that sort of thing you can also make your own if you wanted to as well um if you do want to make your own you uh cut your fresh thyme and then dry the leaves while they're still on the stem uh, but in just like a warm kind of well-ventilated airy airy sort of place once the leaves are dry then you would strip them off the off the stem and then just put it into an airtight container nice um you can also freeze time um just a small airtight container or um plastic wrap you know that sort of thing okay. and it will it will freeze for up to 6 months now it's interesting um Kristen and I did this with uh the akefia lime leaves yep so where we used to live in Wangaratta, we've got um, some citrus plants up there that we haven't been able to move to Melbourne. And when we go back, we bring lime leaves back with us every now and then. Mm. And, yeah, we just put them in like a little clip-lock bag and into the freezer and um, they're perfectly fine to use, yeah, awesome. six months or more in some cases. So, yeah, you can, you can freeze it um, and it'll store quite well. I like that. That's good. And I'm there, not sure that's the main if I'd storage. ever do that, though, to be um, honest. Well, we did it just because we had these fresh lime leaves and we weren't going to use them before they went off. So thought mm. throw them in the freezer and, yeah, use them at another time. Yeah. I think <laughs> I put them in a curry or something or other. Yeah. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah. Um, but that's that's basic storage. So it's either yeah. have it fresh, store yeah. it dried, um, or freeze it. It's really simple. You know, most yeah. people are going to cut it fresh off their own plant or yeah. buy fresh cuttings from the supermarket type yeah. situation. 
I'm not sure yeah. how fresh those cuttings are from the supermarket. I reckon they've been frozen and then thawed out when put back on the shelves. But uh, yeah, I, I haven't bought thyme from the supermarket. I can't even remember how long it's been since I bought it. Yeah. yeah okay. Fair it's just so easy to grow your own plant, even though mine's just died. I got <laughs> what are you talking about? It's so easy to grow your own plant. Well, I, mine's I used dead, it, but you know, it's, I've uh, used it for years. It's only recently where it's come to the point where I can't use it anymore. So yeah, okay. I just can't. Couldn't figure out why it kept dying. You, you reckon there's any hope of you bringing it back to life? Probably not. I have tried. I pruned it right back. I thought I'll give it a give it a prune and cut it right back and try and stimulate some growth. But it, it just progressively it, it the 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 green shoots slowly thinned out to the point where there was nothing new coming through. So it's it's I think it's gone now. <laughs> yeah. That's the same as mine. I thought yeah. I could bring it back, but I think it's just dead to the core. I wonder if there's a lifespan on it. It could be. Could be. Yeah. Because it's, it's pretty old, so I don't know. Anyway, it'd be time to freshen up anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> uh, it's so easy with time. <laughs> I know. I know. All right. Talk to me about cooking. Yeah, cooking. I mean, you, you said this before earlier as well. It's generally used as a um, an additive or a flavor and that sort of thing. It's rarely the hero of a dish. But um, when it comes to cooking, like with storage, you use it fresh or dried. Um, one thing I think that's really important, particularly with fresh thyme, but even depending on where you would get your dried thyme from, I haven't used any for a long time, but it's it, good to taste it first before you add it to your cooking because um, the level of flavor can vary a lot between mm. uh, particularly fresh and dried, but even different sources of dried, you really don't know how much flavor you're going to get from it. So good to um, – Good to test it before you put it into the cooking. But time, you go. No, yeah, I was just going to say, like, I generally don't like to use dried time um, just because it just – I feel like you don't get enough from it. Well, it's interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll skip forward to something I was going to bring up later. Um, I found this this website that talks about um, the equivalent of fresh versus dried versus ground. So if you mm. don't have fresh, how much dry do you need or how much ground do you need to make the same kind of flavor? Oh. Um, I don't know if it works, but the, the, the equation is roughly one tablespoon of fresh chopped thyme yep. is equal to one teaspoon of dry or one quarter of a teaspoon of ground powder. Okay. Mm. That's so less. Yes. Yeah, yeah, because it's more concentrated. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I really don't I, like the dried stuff, though. I feel like you can't either. even taste it. Yeah, me either. I'm the same. But then it could be the, the dried stuff that, that you've used. You know, it could, may not be of the best quality. Maybe if you dried your own time, it mm. might be might be better. I don't know. Worth trying. Who's got time for that? No one. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> yes. Do you have a favorite way to actually use thyme in your cooking? Um, mostly on roast vegetables. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I generally will roast, um, you know, a tray of mixed vegetables, potatoes, pumpkin, carrot, mm-hmm. beetroot, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I'll put um, sprigs of rosemary and thyme in there, mm-hmm. kind of spread out throughout the yeah, throughout the tray. So it's probably my favorite way of cooking it. Yeah. yeah. What about yeah. you? Uh, I'm very much the same. Although I think thyme in soups mm. um, is really good, especially like potato and leek soup. 
Yeah. Um, putting time in that just gives it like another level of taste. Yeah. Well, when you, when you, when you actually research um, the best ways to cook thyme, you generally get obviously vegetables. Um, there's, there's obviously a lot of meat dishes that we're not going to discuss, but, um, soups and stews and lentils, lentil stews and that sort of thing. It, it, it's all, you know, all around that kind of soupy stewy type type situation. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Nice. Um, yeah. So, you know, we talked about going with vegetables and, and I, it, it generally, um, I find that time kind of enhances the flavor of the vegetable without kind of overpowering that flavor. It's like it kind of complements it and brings it out. I guess it's like um, pairing a wine with food. You know, you, you can bring out new flavors that you wouldn't otherwise experience and time's similar in that respect. Yeah, definitely. That's yeah. nice. I mean, it depends on the variety. I think just your normal traditional common time definitely mm. does that. But uh, I've used lemon thyme when it yep. comes to cooking and that sort of stuff, and that definitely gives it like a different kind of flavor to to what you're actually doing, which is yep. nice. Mm. Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I did come across some some recipes that had fresh fresh thyme leaves in salads. I can't say I've ever done that before. Have you, oh, have you ever no. had it fresh? No. No. Yeah, I'm going to have to look into that. I reckon I, I would um, I would try that. Yeah, that's cool. What are we yeah. talking? Like what kind of recipes? Oh, I'll have to send you one. I didn't read too much. You know, I was just <laughs> looking at right. different ways to use it. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and interesting, I, I, found, um, I found a website that was talking about adding dried thyme into bread flour when you're making bread, and this mm-hmm. was actually – for a preservative function as well. Obviously, you get flavor, but it adds as a preservative too in the in the bread and even pasta as well. So you could you could add the time at the at the moment you make the pasta, so it's kind of infused into the pasta itself. Yeah, yeah, that's, so, that's actually good. Yeah, I thought that good, was a, huh? a really good idea. I, I I dabble in baking bread now and then, so I might I might do that in the next one and and see if it turns out. And in the past, I have um, made. Um, uh, like eggplant palmers, mm-hmm. and when we when we make the breadcrumbs, because um, we don't we don't buy the breadcrumbs, we'll just um, blend up some bread that we've got at home, and we normally add um, thyme and rosemary into the breadcrumbs so that it's crumbed into the into the the, the palmer at the same time. It's delicious. Yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah, they, the the flavor is amazing. Mm. Yeah, I feel like thyme would be a really good thing to add to like a garlic bread as well. Yep. So like just you know getting all those shoots off and, and mixing it up and adding it into your you know your butter that you're going to put onto your garlic yep. bread. See, mm. I would do um, thyme and oregano onto a like a garlic bread. Yeah. Because mm, yeah. oregano's got those high antioxidants as well. So yep. yeah, um, yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah, it's nice. Fresh ideas, I like it. Yeah, and and one thing I learned that I didn't know, and this this is uh, like I mentioned earlier, where I said, "Hey, Chris, did you know that?" Yeah, yeah. Um, time is impacted by cooking, so you do okay. lose some of that the benefit the longer you cook it. Yeah. So, f- from what I read, for maximum impact, you add the time at the moment you you finish the cooking. So if you're cooking a, a like a soup or a stew or anything like that, you would turn off the heat and then add your time and allow the residual heat to kind of soften it up. Okay. Um, and that's the best the best way to, to use time. Yeah. Oh, 
That's yeah, cool. Which I haven't done. I always put it in at the start and cook it through. And yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's so, good to know. Yeah, it was. Uh, that was interesting. So next time I next time I use it, I'll uh, <laughs> I will do it that way. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Saves you a bit of time in prep as well. <laughs> it's all about the time. Yeah. That's it. Absolutely. One, awesome. one other thing that's not uh, not related to cooking, but I've, I stumbled across this and and I was completely fascinated by it. And this just adds to the list of the list of things that time is good for. But I found this recipe um, to repel moths, and um, we use uh, moth traps in the pantry. Um, because we have a lot of spices and flour and that sort of thing, and um, we have had weevils, and we try and try and keep them away. But uh, this this recipe is supposed to repel moths for up to a year, and wow. you put it. It says fill a sachet, but I, I'm I'm picturing like a a tea bag or something. So you would just mm-hmm. fill up a tea bag and put it in your pantry. But you would you would um, combine rosemary. Tansy, thyme, mint, and southern wood, all in equal parts. And so the, the recipe here is one cup of each of those, which is a lot, but you know, you could change the ratio to suit. And then mm. half a cup of freshly ground cloves and mm. freshly ground lemon peel or dried lemon peel. Mm. And if you combine all of those, it, it's said to repel moths for up to one year. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I thought that was really, really interesting remedy. Mm. Yeah, I like natural sort of things like that where it's not so much killing anything. It just kind of makes them go away. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which, is a, which is a much better way to do it. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm. Super interesting. Yeah. Well, look, man, I, I really enjoyed that time. Yeah, learnt a lot. Yeah. I, I'm – I just, again, we get to the end of each of these episodes and all I want to do is go and get the ingredients so I can start cooking with it. Um, so I'm definitely, I think, uh, garlic bread is on the cards this this week for me. Uh, <laughs> I will get some gluten-free bread somewhere or make some gluten. I've got heaps of time, so I, I will make some gluten-free garlic bread this week and and do the time in that, I think. I, I yeah. need to get my hands on some more fresh thyme so that I can cook with it. Yeah, yeah, and I think I might go and pick up a plant uh, this week. You can get them pretty cheap, so you know, mm. ten bucks. Get some essential travel down to Bunnings. Assuming they haven't all been panic bought. I know. I know um, herbs and vegetables were uh, being snapped up. Really? Earlier. Yeah. Yep. Oh, geez, I didn't know that. People trying to grow it at home. Yeah. Well, it makes sense, but. At the same time, it doesn't. At the same, yeah. Anyway, whatever works for whoever you are. That's it's all it. good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, again, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we've had a really good time, sort of discussing time today. Um, if you have any funny stories that you've used time with, if you think that we've said something that's a little bit incorrect, uh, please let us know. Um, you can always email us at hello at messyveggies.com and we will get back to you straight away. Um, if there's any particular vegetables or fruits or herbs that you want us to tackle in the next couple of weeks, we are going to start getting some guests on, which is going to be really fun. Um, some actual qualified people that are not us. 
to talk about some of these uh, different uh, vegetables and herbs and, and fruits as well. Yeah, um, someone with a bit more authority. <laughs> that's correct. I mean, we do our research and we do thorough research, but at the same time, we haven't this hasn't been a field of study for us at, at any stretch of the imagination. And it's and it's really difficult when you when you look at each each topic that we cover, there is so much to learn. It, it's Yes. We're really just scratching the surface of each of these and I Absolutely. guess at the end of the day, trying to trying to educate you on one or two things or at least inspire the listeners to go and find out more themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Or experiment with it, you know? Yeah, uh, it definitely gets you excited about using these vegetables, using these herbs more in in what you cook at home and what you use in your in your weekly uh, activities. Um, so yeah, but uh, look, thanks, man. I really enjoyed today. There's there's one more really important thing we have to cover. Oh, what are we talking about next week? Uh, <laughs> that's a really good question. What are we covering next week? Did we no, discuss well, this? I don't feel like we've discussed no, this. No, I, I put Simon on the spot because we haven't yeah. decided. <laughs> no. Uh, we are going to be doing a fruit though. Is that correct? Yes. I think yes. We, that was the uh, the agreement uh, yeah. as to what fruit. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we should do a berry, which yeah, kind of falls in the fruit. Let's go with strawberries. Okay. Strawberries cool. it is. I yeah. like it. Um, so stay tuned. We're doing strawberries next, uh, next week. I'm going to be talking about everything to do with strawberries. I, I love strawberries. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan. So. Oh, really? So why did you choose strawberries then? Because I want to learn more about them. <laughs> That's good. Now, it's really it is, it's tough. I, yeah. I like the strawberry flavor. Yeah. Um, and this sounds, this sounds so, um, ridiculous, but I hate eating strawberries because of the bloody seeds they crunch in my mouth and i hate it <laughs> i hate that also i would yeah. love to shave the outside of a strawberry so that i yeah. just get the middle part and not the yeah. seeds and i've always had a big phobia for like seeds yeah i think it stems back to my childhood where i thought that they grew inside you yeah, yeah. yeah. but yeah, uh, our parents have got a lot to answer for yeah, they certainly do. But uh, yes, uh, I'm not a big fan of seeds. That's why I steer clear of passion fruit. Mm -hmm. uh, Me too. Do not, <laughs> just cannot. I cannot bring myself. The seeds are too big. Watermelon with seeds, even the seedless watermelon with the with the, the white little seeds, white just, thing. Oh. I can't do it, man. Oh. <laughs> oh. I'm glad we're both like this. I didn't yeah. think there was many other people that were like oh, this. I can't but, stand uh, it, man. Can't stand yeah. it. And even like uh, if you put, you know, strawberries and blueberries or whatever into um, a smoothie, mm. the seeds are still there and I hate oh, it because they're I crunchy know. and uh... Yeah, so when it comes to smoothies like that, I try to drink it without it touching my face. <laughs> without chewing. <laughs> yeah. So basically I just open the back of my throat and just uh. pour it into my stomach so that I yeah. don't, don't taste any of the seeds. It's a bit uh. weird. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. oh, geez, that's terrible. That's good. Right. Oh, well, stay tuned for <laughs> strawberries next week because we're yeah. both clearly going to love this one. <laughs> yeah, I think that it's – I love – again, I love strawberries but just do not like the seed component of them. Mm. And plus it's really difficult to find strawberries in supermarkets and places like that that are not um, – that don't have bad ones in the box. Oh, right. yeah, it's it happens all the time. Head right? hate yeah. of mine. I really do not like that. So if we know how to grow them, if they're really good growers, then I am very interested in maybe doing that and shaving my strawberries with a mm -hmm. vegetable peeler. 
Yeah, hey, that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, one thing I'm really interested in with strawberries, and I think I will probably cover that next week, is the myth about um, the bigger the strawberry is, the less the flavor. Oh. I want to see if I can find some information about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Mm. Awesome. Well, look, strawberries next week. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, hit us up at our email address at hello at messyveggies.com. Uh, for anything else, you can check out everything else on Messy Veggies as well, which is a um, which is basically the the platform that we that we're doing this podcast through. Um, but until next week, uh, do yourself a favor and eat some more plants. Thank you.